I am. I, pre I, pre I appreciate that. And do the best job in industry. You do the best job. You know, by the way, you were a little hard on those that aren't here today. Um, listen, between the, the light drizzle and the, and the festival of darkness tonight, there's a lot of reasons for Christians to miss church. So don't be, I mean, it's hard between the roads are a little wet, pumpkins everywhere. It's, it's hard. So don't, don't judge them so harshly. Um, we're continuing with our series on 1 Peter, entitled Remember the Cross. And by the way, just a reminder um, why we've called it Remember the Cross. Because when it comes to suffering, the only way you're going to really understand the proper perspective of this life is if you remember the cross. <clears throat> and that's why early on in the series, you'll see that there's no rearview mirror. But later when we get to the personal application, the rearview mirror shows up in the graphics just to remind you to look back to the cross as you look forward. Uh, when times are hard, uh, yes, yeah, very good, right? Uh, uh, very good. So um, <clears throat> this week, this, the sermon is, that's the, uh, this is the wrong sermon, by the way. This is from last week. That's number 11, Submit and Cherish. Yeah, so we're going to have to try to bring up the right one, and I'll just start my um, number 13. So just put that one into the slides, please, and let me know when you have it. Take that one off, and then I'll start my introduction uh, until we get that slide up. Um, the title sermon of the sermon this week is Passionate, Ready, and Gentle. Something that describes all of you, I'm sure. <laughs> um, we've been talking about this priesthood now for 12 weeks. Proclaiming integrity and industry. You know, it's hard being a good priest in this world consistently, but that's what we've been called to do. We're called to be passionate, we're called to be ready, and we're called to respond to this hostile world with gentleness when actually our temptation is to fight back. <clears throat> we have many things competing for our passions especially as we pursue this thing called bios that we talked about last week. Remember, bios is life, anything that helps you breathe more comfortably versus pursuing zoe. So um, how are we coming on the slides? Are we getting there? Good. Okay, so I have a story to tell you about a fight that Lisa, Kay, and I have been involved in on behalf of the Grace Life Food Pantry and the Nightlife Center. It is a fight for the very heart and soul of America. It is a culture war about justice, equality, and quite frankly, the future of our children. The fight over parking spaces. <laughs> Neighbors, who have persecuted us for doing good, like the food pantry and Grace Life Recovery. And what was happening is, as we were having these ministries, some people, some of our people, were parking in their spaces. But understand, this was a righteous fight that we were taking on because they, in fact, all of them are parking lot hypocrites. With customers and owners parking in our spaces. I was determined 
in this fight, which has been, frankly, 18 months in the making, I was determined to force biblical parking lot values <laughs> upon them all. To fight passionately to change parking lot society. You all would have been so proud of us as we were zealous advocates for parking lot social justice and our rights to park, especially when we're doing good. They're not feeding people, we are. Until five weeks ago, when I realized, even though I might have had a point, right, my passion was severely misguided. And in fact, my passion had caused me to fail the priesthood. My passion for parking lot justice left me unprepared to seize an incredible opportunity to pursue peace. Instead, I was fighting for bios. <clears throat> Has this ever happened to any of you? So passionate about something that you're legit right about, that you choose conflict over peace? Look at our passage this week, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And we'll define what good is later. There's a lot of misperception about what good is. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asked you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, not loudness. Having good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So let's look at the history of this passage. <clears throat> Preparation for suffering. Uh, Paul, uh, Peter's been doing a very good idea, uh, a job of teaching this idea to his readers about their new identity. He has been saying, your new identity now, you used to be pagan, you used to not follow Christ, but your new identity is that you are God's chosen people. And with that choosing of God, you have a new calling, which is to be royal priests. And your highest purpose isn't fighting for the injustice in your society, frankly, injustice that you suffer from, but your main priority is proclamation, integrity, and industry. Don't make yourself targets because of these other fighting for injustice type of passions you might have, but instead, if you're going to be a target, make it because you are pursuing peace. That way you'll always be effective in your priesthood. Submit even if you must, Listen carefully. Submit even if you must to oppressive government. Slaves, submit to oppressive masters. Wives, submit and cherish your unbelieving spouses. Husbands, cherish your unbelieving wives, even if it is extremely difficult and none of them deserve your goodness. Stop fighting for bios. Pursue zoe. Relentlessly pursue peace with everyone in your entire relationship funnel, the funnel we've been talking about the last several weeks. And by the way, there's a lot of callback in these sermons to previous weeks. So if you haven't caught up on the First Peter series, go back and do it. <clears throat> so that's the first point. He's been talking about their new identity. 
Let me explain to you what would happen in these churches. When these churches received apostolic letters like 1 Peter, they would all gather together. <clears throat> the word would get out, hey, we got a new letter from an apostle. Let's get together. There, there would be anticipation, excitement. We get to come together. We're going to read a letter from our apostles. So they would get together to read, and then they would make copies of these letters to keep for themselves, and then they would send the originals on to the next church. These gatherings as a church family, were so crucial for their teaching, for their strategy, for the encouragement, and it was also a short respite from oppression. Remember, we talked about how people from all social, economic, and ethnic backgrounds would come together as equals to worship. <clears throat> and now for a short time, maybe a few hours, they're worshiping. And by the way, not an hour like that's all we ask of American church people. They would get the five, six, seven hours worshiping, eating, learning together from the apostles' letters as equals, and making sure they were all on the right track as a church. This is where they would learn to make changes in their behavior. This is where they would learn to work on things, learning how, oh, this what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they would always leave inspired to be better followers of Christ, better disciples. But Peter also knows that they have many competing passions. Peter knew most of these precious believers would leave this incredible gathering <clears throat> and return to the realities of subjugation and oppression. Many would leave church and return to slavery, abuse, subjugation almost immediately. <clears throat> Peter knows they will have their passion for the priesthood tested, tempted to abandon Zoe <clears throat> and be forced to fight for Bios yet again. But he wants to prepare them ahead of time for this reality, for the persecution they will soon face so that they can stay on task, which brings me to the spiritual section. What about God? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Peter teaches some very important things. I've entitled this section Passionate, ready, and gentle. First of all, he, just, he defines passion for good. He says, be zealous for good. The Greek word is zelotai. You can see where we get the, the English word zealous. Zelotai, zelo, zealous. It means passionate, <clears throat> devotion to a cause, person, or idea. Passionate and devoted to a cause, person, or idea. Everyone, by the way, this is a specific, by Peter, a very political statement. Everyone would know and connect the word zealous, that Greek word, with a very well-known political group called the Zealots. A deeply patriotic movement within Israel with great passion for liberty for Israel from any foreign government or any pagan influence. <clears throat> they were so passionate, these zealots, they justified anything to achieve their, achieve their dreams, their political hopes. They would turn to violence, terrorism, assassination, whatever it was. And in fact, this zealousness was venerated in all of Jewish culture. Going back to numbers with a, a story about a man named Phineas, and you can read about it, who was called zealous. Phineas led a movement that tore down pagan temples in Israel. He was considered a national hero. Simon the Zealot was a disciple of Jesus. He came from this radical political group called the Zealots. He was one of the disciples. I imagine that Simon had some real struggles with the teachings of Jesus when he says, abandon your zealousness. 
for politics. Think of this, he's a zealot. But right around the table of the 12, across the campfire, <clears throat> is this guy named Matthew, a tax collector. So you have Simon the zealot, a Pharisee, Matthew the tax collector, a big government Sadducee, right? You've got a, a make Israel great again Pharisee and a big <laughs> government Sadducee right next to each other following Jesus. That's what they were. Simon and Matthew both had to put and learn to put and let go of their political dreams and passions and be zealous for something new, something good, something that no one else in Roman society was zealous for, good as Peter defines it. You could see how believers living in slavery suffering oppression and subjugation would aspire just like the zealots to be zealous for a cause of liberty. Here's what Peter says. He, he brilliantly uses this word zealot, which everyone would associate with this group because they made a lot of headlines. Peter says, be as zealous as the zealots, but not for your political dreams, but for good. And what is that good? Submission. Humility, integrity, pursuing peace. Be so zealous for this peaceful good that anyone who accuses you of the type of rebellion the zealots do will look like total idiots. You're calling them zealots? Pfft. All they do is seek peace. They let people run all over them sometimes. Passion for good. But then he also tells them to be prepared for opportunity. The Greek word here is hepoimos. It means ready, unhindered, unimpeded, readiness. <clears throat> Peter does not want them to get distracted by any political or cultural hopes and passions because he wants them to be always ready to pursue peace as priests. <clears throat> be so passionate about proclamation, integrity, and industry that no earthly fight will ever distract you from doing good. Good as he defined it. <clears throat> Always be prepared to seize opportunities to act differently than anyone else around you in stunning ways. <clears throat> Even if they are persecuted while doing good like we were with the food pantry, Seek peace so you can share the love of Christ. Being prepared ahead of time to respond to any persecution in a supernatural way <clears throat> with the right actions, the right words. And what do those actions and words look like? Here's the third word in his instruction this week, gentleness. Yeah, that's what I said when I read it. Oh, geez. <laughs> gentleness. <clears throat> Proutes, that's the Greek word. It means mildness, gentleness, meekness. Ugh. <laughs> you know, when things do get hard, he's saying understand your first identity is as a priest, which requires you to respond with gentleness, gentleness not a zealous patriotic response. It says, let zealousness for good inspire a completely different and surprising response even to those who persecute you. 
Be so zealous for peace and good that even those who persecute you will say, whoa, I didn't expect that kind of response. Display gentleness and peace even, this is the hard part, even if it means losing your personal parking rights <laughs> for the sake of the glory of the kingdom. But that goes for any right. We value personal liberties a lot in America. How willing would you be to give them up if it meant you could be a better kingdom agent? Understand, <clears throat> this is going to be really hard <clears throat> because Roman culture saw gentleness and meekness as a weakness and a vulnerability to be preyed upon. And Peter's commanding them to let a passion for goodness cause them to be ready to display gentleness even when everything else says they should fight. All right, let's talk about the personal section. What about us? What do we do? I've entitled this section, Parking Lot Passions. <laughs> Here was my sermon preview this week. True followers of Jesus should be passionate, prepared, and gentle, no matter what day of the week it is. You know, it's really easy to be these things on Sunday morning. I can even fake it with some of you for an hour. <laughs> Just joking. I don't fake it with any of you. I believe many followers of Jesus have misguided passions that they confuse with kingdom passions. But make no mistake, they aren't kingdom passions. They are, in fact, earthly hopes and passions that cause us to forget our new identity as kingdom priests. This First Peter series <laughs> has shown me how misguided my passions can be, leaving me unprepared and often anything but gentle. In that nightlife parking story, for months, I was zealous in this conflict with just a couple of, out of four or five neighboring businesses. It was really just a couple. And whenever they would text a complaint, and Lisa doesn't know about this, whenever they would text a complaint, I would respond to their text with pictures I had taken of their cars and customers in our spaces. <laughs> Got them, yes. Mm. Complain about us. Look at you, you parking lot social justice hypocrite. <laughs> hey, it's funny, but it was really bad. How dare you parking lot hypocrites interfere with us doing good, feeding the hungry, recovery ministry. But then about five weeks ago, on a Thursday, during food pantry, I got just such a complaining text. That's it. I have had it. I'm getting in my truck, I'm going down there, I'm going to be armed with loads of information <clears throat> about their parking hypocrisy, I am fighting for our right to do food pantry. And I got there, and the parking lot was a total madhouse. Our clients had blocked one of the exits, we had taken up almost every space in the plaza, it was really really bad. Suddenly, I went from passionate fighter to really embarrassed pastor. I started running around the lot like a chicken, directing traffic, trying to fix things, going inside. Is that your car? Do you drive this kind of car? Can I have your keys? Can I move it? Here's what I realized. My misguided, self-righteous, 
parking lot passion had damaged relationships with our neighbors. It had damaged my role as a priest. Now we had to fix it. Boy, they're lucky I was preaching through 1 Peter, huh? <laughs> if I didn't preach it through like, you know, one of those Old Testament books where Israel's fighting with their neighbors, oh, I was going to go after them, you know? But no, I'm preaching 1 Peter. <clears throat> See, we knew at that moment we needed to stop fighting for our parking rights and pursue gentleness and peace. And suddenly, my zealousness and our zealousness switched to good and inspired us to respond to this conflict above and beyond what any other business would have ever dreamed of doing. First, I went to every business owner, even those who didn't complain, and I apologized, sometimes with tears. Like, I'm really, really sorry for the way I've acted. I'm really sorry for the way we have been mistreating your businesses. And then we spent a lot of money, like a couple thousand dollars, on signs for every business. Customized signs to make sure our people knew to respect the other businesses when they were open. And then Lisa deployed um, precious, I mean this, precious passionate priests into the parking lot, into the hot sun to oversee the traffic. Let me tell you something. I've done that. It is a terrible job. But we have people doing it every time. Recently, one of the neighbors who'd been there for a long time pulled me aside. Oh, no, they're going to complain again, right? You know what they told me? They said, let me tell you something. We've all, most of these businesses have been here for 20 years. We've been fighting each other for parking spaces for decades. He said, no one's ever apologized. No one ever spent money on signs or deployed attendants to solve the problem and make peace. I, I began to explain that why I had to change, why we had to change what we were doing, because that's what Christians should do. My redirected passion for what is truly good helped me let go of parking lot passions for something greater. And what happened? I had an opportunity to proclaim. <clears throat> I want to talk about our identity. There's two verses that Peter uses, one in the early part of chapter 1 and one in the early part of chapter 2 to explain what our identity really should be. The first one is to those who are chosen exiles. Chosen exiles. People chosen by the grace of God to become followers of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, it's not because you were so smart and figured it out. <laughs> God gave you eyes to see and ears to hear and the gift of faith, and that's why you became a follower of Jesus. So don't brag about it. The second verse in 2.5 you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices like gentleness, acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You know why my passions were misguided at first? Because I had lost sight of my identity as a chosen royal priest. 
My passion wasn't for righteousness. It was for earthly bios. And as a result, I was a failure at proclamation, integrity, and industry. Many of you today are in the same boat. You know how I know? Because you rarely are prepared for opportunities to proclaim and speak the gospel. Like actually share it. Like actually explain to people how they can come to know the Father. I mean, we say we're followers of Jesus, royal priests, but we have too many misguided passions. Oh, we're ready to proclaim something, but it's usually not the gospel, and it's certainly not peaceful or gentle. We are more prepared often to give a defense for whatever parking lot passions we may have than the faith that's within us. We as priests must learn to put our most important identity before all other passions. Those all, all those other identities, they drive passions that usually make us ready to fight. I got news for you. You can't proclaim the gospel while fighting. Did you hear me? Proclaiming the love of Christ always begins with a zealousness for good that prepares you to be gentle. Any passion that you have in your life that makes you angry, ready for a fight, must become secondary to your passion for the priesthood. I'm not saying you can't have these other passions. We're human. Of course we have them. But we have to learn the discipline to make them secondary to our priesthood. <clears throat> you know why you're struggling with gentleness and readiness to proclaim the love of Christ? Because your passions are misguided and out of order. You're struggling to grasp <clears throat> the privilege of being called by God to be one of his chosen people, a holy nation and a royal priesthood. You're struggling because you don't really see your new identity as more important than your old ones. What are some of your identities and passions that are keeping you from being ready and gentle? Your identity as a parent? Your political identity? Your racial identity? Your gender identity? Any of those passions, nothing wrong with them, but they must be secondary. Commit to put those passions in their proper place behind gentle proclamation, integrity, and industry. Our passion for good, the good that Peter defined, <clears throat> must be so zealous that we're ready and able, without hypocrisy, to proclaim with gentleness in any situation. Today, right now, ask God to reveal to you any misguided, out-of-line, earthly passions that are keeping you from readiness and gentleness. I had to do it. It was not fun. But I'm glad I learned my lesson. 
Father, we have a lot of passions. We have a lot of things that are clamoring for our attention, a lot of things that are corrupting our motivation. Lord, I confess you, there are many things that I can easily get angry about. But the fact of the matter is, if you called these first century believers who really had a beef to put those passions aside and be zealous for good, then that's what we should be doing. So God, right now, today, for those of us that are here, reveal misguided passions. Reveal to us the places that our earthly thinking has become more important than our heavenly thinking. Lord, give us the passion for goodness that keeps us humble and ready and gentle. And when we fail and we know we will, please, God, help us recognize it immediately and confess it, make it right, and respond and repent with gentleness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you've got some work to do. Have a great week. <laughs> Thank you.